0: I think you've alluded to it before as we we're kind of talking, but if you had to advise, say, a, a large hotel group or a travel group or even a tourism board around how do we look at post COVID and how do we approach, say, our messaging, what kind of tips and advice would you provide them? Hey, everybody, my name is Andrew Trant. I'm a marketing branding strategist. I help organizations their teams their team leaders deliver and execute on the challenges they're facing from marketing campaigns to market entry activity all the way through to strategy and planning if you want to hit me up check out my website it's www.andrewtran.asia you can find out a little bit more about me you can book time with me but until then let's get on with the show my next guest is Hannah Pearson, director of Pia Anderson. It's a research and sales representation tourism consultancy. They specialize in the Southeast Asia and Muslim tourism industry. Originally from the UK, she's now based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, over the last eight years. And she's also a co-host for her podcast, the Southeast Asia Travel Show. We got straight into it with Hannah and we focused a lot around her insights regarding the Southeast Asia tourism industry, what her predictions will be like, uh, whether or not the FIT is going to pick up from a domestic point of view. Internationally, we look at like mice for businesses out there. And also we looked at one of the burning questions that I'm thinking of, which is, is it gonna be expensive to be traveling around Asia? And how does that kind of impact on various kind of travel groups, um, travel agencies, travel airlines, and even tourist operators as well. this was a really fun chat. It opened my eyes up a little bit around travel in itself. She's a really cool person and she's got her own podcast as well. She talks about that as well. Um, and I got her to give me some advice you know, to help you guys, uh, whether or not you're in the travel industry, but also whether or not you're in the service-based industry as well. I think this is quite applicable given what's happening with COVID right now, given what's happening with you know inbound or international tourism or international travel not being really solidified yet and so this is a really cool episode around that so i hope you guys like it and without further ado give it up for Hannah. hey hannah how are you going
1: i'm good andrew how are you
0: i'm good thank you it's a monday morning for anyone that's watching or listening we're recording now um hannah is actually she's from the uk as you can kind of hear from her accent but she's based in <laughs> kl and uh like, tell everyone, like, uh, you know, who's watching and listening, like, how'd you end up in KL? Yeah, good
1: question. Yeah, so like you said, yeah, I'm originally from the UK. Um, and I guess the, the short answer is that my husband's uh, family are originally from Malaysia. So he was born in the UK. He's born in London, British like me, but he's a lot of extended family out here. Um, so he kind of convinced me about eight years ago and said, look, come on, let's try out Malaysia. It's going to be an adventure. And I said, mm, you know, I, I don't really know much about Malaysia, you know, so um, I went out to visit. He came out a little bit ahead of me. I came and visited a couple of times. Actually, this is this is pretty cool. Um, so we arrived. We thought it would just be two years um, and it's, you know, eight years later and we're still here. And I think that's the there's so much opportunity here in Southeast Asia that um, it's very hard now to imagine myself.
0: Yeah, I think that every, every expat I talk to, whether or not like, they have Asian descent or not, they, they mm. see the opportunity that, that is arising right now. And especially what's happening back home, like in the UK, in the US, in Australia, you know, things are really stagnant, things are reversing backwards. So whereas here in Asia, it's still moving forward, um, maybe a little bit slower than it once was, but still, it's still moving forward, still positive, which is fantastic.
1: Absolutely. You know, I look at the UK right now and the growing COVID cases and Brexit and everything else. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy that I'm in Malaysia.
0: Yep. yep. (laughs) So so glad to be here. Me too. All right. So today uh, we want to talk about like Southeast Asia travel and your predictions. So for anyone that's watching or listening at home, uh, you've got an incredible following in itself. People follow you, people ask for your kind of opinions when it comes to travel around here in southeast asia and you've kind of built this really cool niche right so i guess like what kind of insights have you kind of seen when it when it starts to look at recovery around this area
1: yeah i mean it's a good question so when we look at Southeast Asia, it's kind of funny because there's almost two speeds, that's what I'm always saying. You've got countries like um, Thailand, like Singapore, like Vietnam again now, like Malaysia, Cambodia, Laos, who have got a handle on COVID, right? And you know, the, the peak of it has gone. Yeah, there might be some cases in countries like Malaysia and Singapore, but it's relatively under control. And in these countries, you're starting to see more domestic tourism and that's starting to come up because obviously, people can't go anywhere else, right? They're stuck, they've got to stay within the borders. But then you've got countries like Indonesia, Philippines, and now Myanmar in the past few weeks, where cases are really shooting up. They're really struggling to contain that. And in those countries, even something like domestic tourism is really really limited i mean in the philippines it was only last week that they announced that you could have a staycation in manila so it's essentially you know they locked down in march i think philippines they always say is meant to be one of the strictest and longest lockdowns in the world um and only now six months on if you've been living in manila are you allowed to go and stay in a local hotel down the road for a break um so this is huge disparity between the different um regions in terms of travel recovery
0: yeah, uh, like, do you find this the stop-start approach? Like, I'm seeing it here in Vietnam where, you know, mm-hmm. there was a massive lockdown, um, you know, really kind of, I think, I guess the learnings, I guess, from uh, from swine fruit, from previous kind of pandemic or epidemics that are kind of occurred in this region kind of helped these Southeast Asian nations where they understood that their medical system infrastructure isn't as strong as the West. And so they had to take a lot, a, a lot more stricter tougher kind of control around it um and i just see sometimes there's like a push and pull kind of occurring right now like um do you see anything that's that's kind of occurring over the next like six to 12 months when it comes to predictions or anything like that
1: i mean i think that we are going to see more kind of intra asean travel at least that's what i hope i mean initially it's going to, be travelers and we've already seen a few that you know they're calling it fast lane or travel bubble or business track whatever there's a load of different terms for it but you've got this now you know a link between malaysia and singapore um i wouldn't be surprised if other countries kind of jump onto that and start opening up because it makes sense you know ASEAN have a lot of trading links amongst one another so i do think that they will start to open up but of course it's going to get very political people are going to avoid think countries like indonesia and the philippines because they just you know they might be key trading partners but they just can't take that risk of letting people in yeah um you know like you say it's it's going to definitely be this kind of stop start and i think vietnam took the right approach with the second wave and they kind of did a localized lockdown right as far as i understand it rather than nationwide everybody has a lockdown which is what i think countries have got to do But ultimately, I think it comes down to governments realising that they, you know, I think a lot of them nowadays are all pursuing this zero COVID for it. And it's funny because we started all these lockdowns in March and everyone talks about flattening the curve. And then somehow the narrative changed and then it started becoming about pursuing zero cases. And of course, if you are aiming for zero cases, you're probably never going to open up the country again to tourism. And I think what we are slowly seeing now is countries like Singapore, countries like Vietnam as well, starting to realize it's not sustainable. You can't, you can't aim for zero cases. You know, even Vietnam, it's completely wiped out and suddenly it came back again. Right. So what you've got to have is this. You've got to be able to live with it. And I think you've got to try and design tourism, travel around that as well so you need some kind of safeguard measures but you've got to accept the inevitability that yeah cases are going to come in because of this but you know the, the positives probably outweigh the negatives
0: actually it's funny how you, you kind of mention, um hey we got to live with this and it's it's something that's not just going to go away like we can't just get to zero we have to live with it and i think I heard a speech from Brian Solis, who's a really famous kind of futurist, uh, digital marketer, social anthropologist. Um, mm. And he, he talks about that. He talks, he goes, hey, you know, we live in an era now where it's not about, it's what is post-COVID era? Well, post-COVID era is still having COVID, but how do you deal with that? How do brands respond to that? And, you know, I think you just fit that really eloquently from a travel perspective, which is kind of cool as well. Mm. I mean, oh, I wouldn't mind your thoughts. Like, Like, do you think, you know, traditionally with, with Southeast Asia travel, it used to be like, you know, traditionally with the group kind of mindset. Mm-hmm, and then yeah. you're starting to see as as the, you know, as people become a little bit more richer, they have a bit more propensity to spend, they're becoming a little bit more that kind of freedom independent traveler. Do you, Do you mm-hmm, see that yeah. kind of approaching from a domestic point of view as we don't really have an indication of inbound travel coming in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, especially for domestic travel, there's going to be this um choice towards towards free independent travelers like you say rather than um group and i mean i think that's also just because it's like a comfort and familiarity right so you know if you're traveling within your own country you maybe don't feel like you need that safety net of traveling in a group whereas let's say you're a vietnamese person you're an indonesian person and you're traveling to europe and you've got a language barrier as well you've got a cultural barrier so maybe you want to travel in a group to have that kind of reassurance whereas i think domestically you, you don't necessarily need that layer yeah. um, I mean and that's going to be one of the difficult things for travel agents in particular because we're seeing you know a lot more people just booking directly with hotels or booking directly you know via OTAs like GoDot or booking.com and things rather than necessarily by a travel agent because they feel that more confident to do it
0: and, and what about like you know the business sector as well like the, the mice kind of industry like I mean they're complete, like they were solely relying on kind of like that inbound element as a kind of big source. Like, what do you think might, might happen with them?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Cause if you look at countries like Thailand um, they've actually launched a really massive incentive scheme that's incentivizing local companies to take incentive trips within Thailand. Um, And I was speaking to some mice travel agencies a few weeks ago for a survey that I was doing. And they were saying that they thought, actually, that this might have a long term impact. So it might even be that companies in Thailand who would normally plan a trip overseas, um, obviously, they can't do that right now. But even if they're thinking maybe towards the end of 2021, they might actually be swayed to do it within Thailand just because of all of these incentives that are available to them. So I think a lot of tourism boards right now are working quite hard to find really interesting angles to attract local companies to hold incentive events um, in their own country. But of course, you know, there's still gonna be a big gap, I think, between what something like an international convention could bring in versus, you know, a local company holding holding a conference.
0: Yeah, you're you're totally right. Um... What about prices, though? What do you think what's going to happen? Is it just going to be really expensive for the next five years and then slowly get back down again? What's going on?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. Um, so it's, it's one that I asked a lot of travel agents again recently, and most of them were of the opinion it was going to get more expensive, right? Because they were saying airfares are going to get more expensive. If you're looking at group travel, you know, groups will be smaller. Therefore, the cost point will be a bit higher because the, the cost is shared um, amongst fewer people but then i spoke to an airline uh, who was based out of thailand and they said you know what actually we don't think we they said we think our flight fares might go up maybe 10 10 to 15 percent but they didn't think it was going to be a huge increase so it, it comes down to a bit of um, demand really so i think initially at least the airline's going to want to stimulate demand so they probably are going to throw out cheaper fares it might be even in the medium term we might see prices start to increase a little bit more because they realize they they need to make up for the losses that they made
0: you know this year how how do you think how do you think from a communication point of view uh because you do have a background in communication as well Mm. um how do you think like you know airlines for instance are going to communicate because do you think it's going to be like price a bit of a price war price sensitivity or do you think there's some sort of usp that uh airlines would want to try and highlight as, as you know like they're number one in safety blah 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 blah. like what do you think what do you think might be that that, that edge
1: yeah well i mean like you say, i think consumers are going to be more price sensitive you know we've seen the latest, latest economic forecasts from like the adb and it's pretty dire for southeast asia for the rest of this year um but i think that airlines will yes they will throw out some cheap fares but i think that what they're going to recognise is that flexibility is really key. Of course, safety, but I think that there's a limit to how much you can talk about safety, and there's always that that kind of association. Isn't it? Like the more you speak about safety, the more you worry. Like, is this really safe? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always like that in the back of your mind. Like, oh, we're really safe now, and you think, does that mean you weren't safe before? <laughs> um, but I think that they're going to focus on uh, flexible fares, being able to change things, being able to get like a full cancellation. Um, for, you know, you, maybe you don't have to pay fees if you want to cancel, being able to change very last minute. So I think those kind of things will be more of a focus for the airline. But of course, they still come at a bit of a premium. So you know, it's always if even if you know before COVID, you look at like air fares and you want a really really cheap airfare. Yeah, it's going to be a non non-refundable, non-changeable fare right? So I think that's how they're going to make more of their money. I think they will have these really cheap fares, but then they will perhaps push on that middle group of fares that are more flexible and try to entice people to go and book with that instead.
0: Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I think so as well. Um, what about, so, so if that's the top end of town, right, Mm. if we go kind of go, would, would, Hotel groups be the middle end of town, and then tour operators be like the smaller end of town when it comes to, I guess, how they will approach, uh, you know, attracting tourists, uh, be it inbound, like be it inbound overseas or domestic local. Like, I mean, how do you see them trying to, I guess, differentiate themselves and kickstart?
1: Yeah, I think for hotels, it's all got to be about, um, I think, especially because we're. Especially if you're talking about staycations and I take Singapore as an example, right? Because Singapore is so small. Um, the, the, even the idea of going on a staycation is a little bit crazy it would have been um, pre-COVID. Um, But hotels there are trying to be more creative, you know, they're trying to come out with packages, they're teaming up with tour operators to come out with unique walking tours. I saw this really cool one um, where one of the hotel groups is teaming up with the wildlife uh, reserves of Singapore. So basically you stay there and you get like a unique kind of meet the koalas or go behind the scenes of, of Singapore Zoo and meet the animals and meet the zookeepers and things. So they are having to be really, really creative in Singapore. Because just saying, hey, you can come stay in our hotel overnight. I mean, it might be attractive for perhaps that kind of younger generation who have been maybe out of their parents for like the last six months and they really need to get out. But it's not sustainable. It's not something you can do every weekend. Um, so I think hotel groups, particularly in, in Singapore, need to be super creative. I think in other countries where there's already quite a diverse domestic tourism, you know, like Malaysia or Thailand, or even Vietnam, I think it's just highlighting kind of off the beaten track um, destinations and trying to get the word out there and capitalizing and all the Instagram ability of it and everything else.
0: And, and with all that work, like comes a bit of dollars, right? Like if you're a small tourist tour operator, you have to balance that fine line between how do I invest into marketing and, and knowledge and paying for that knowledge versus just trying to do it myself. And it's, it's always a tricky kind of thing. Uh, for these kind of tour operators as well uh, coming through. Um, actually, it, it gives, gives me another kind of uh, question I wanted to ask you. Like, have yeah. you seen any cool, I don't know, communication pieces out there uh, from other like either tourism bodies or you know, hotel groups or even airlines when it comes mm. to, I guess, perhaps even promoting safety um, amongst uh, you know, fellow customers or potential customers?
1: You know, nothing has really stood out to me actually, mm. if I'm honest. that there has not been one that I thought wow that is really well done Um, I mean I think Vietnam actually have done a pretty cool job they've done a lot of exploring Vietnam um, you know 360 degrees and giving you recipes to learn to cook Vietnam uh, Vietnamese cuisine and everything else so I think that that's pretty cool I think some of the other tourism boards in Southeast Asia at least have been a little bit um not necessarily slow to respond, but not particularly creative. I mean, you've got tourism boards like Thailand that are just coming out with like a different message every single day about what kind of visas they're going to do or what kind of schemes. Yeah. Um, it's probably more confusing uh, rather than helpful for the market.
0: Yeah. I, you know, the funny thing is, was, was probably what March is when a lot of, like few of the Southeast Asian nations started to kind of lift their lockdown a little bit, like March, end of March. Oh, sorry. End of May type of approach, and then became like this. Like especially here in Vietnam, it became like, oh, we can we can do events, we can gather, we can do group gatherings now, and they start to talk about what is the future that holds. And Vietnam at that time still had zero case. Oh, sorry, still had zero deaths and very very low cases, and so it was positioned really really well, um, in comparison to say Thailand. But it was like a bit of a race between like say you know Vietnam, Thailand and maybe other smaller kind of nations when it comes to like, how do we respond in terms of creating the right message approach to the world and to domestic as well. And it, and then all of a sudden, like cases went up again, like this kind of pseudo second wave, and then everything just, like just died. And it's, it's kind of weird. You know, I don't know if you've seen it as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I think it is. And I think the, Maybe the unfortunate thing for Vietnam, it was almost like a second kick when they're down, especially for a lot of the tourism operators, because they were just starting, right? Domestic tourism was just starting to get back to those same levels that it was before the flights, domestic flights at least, were almost at the same levels as before. So it was really at the peak and then came crashing down again. And then it's the same, you know, customers coming after them for requests for cancellations and everything else. And how do you cope with that?
0: Yeah. Yep. crazy.
1: Hopefully, hopefully it's going to start back up again. I'm pretty bullish on Vietnam.
0: Yeah, 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 me too. (laughs) Me too. I hope, uh, you know, for my business sake anyway, like uh, I'm a consultancy. uh, So I, you know, I do the face-to-face. And so we've had to change, obviously, uh, from a business standpoint of view. I think a lot of businesses had to change. uh, But I guess because I'm digitally adept, uh, it it made the transition a little bit easier uh, for me as well. But I know a lot of businesses, especially like traditional businesses, maybe in the hotel tourism arm still traditional in terms of its approach and had to really adapt quickly and some have adapted well because they've been able to lean on say international partners that they're affiliated with but then there are a couple other kind of smaller independent groups that haven't been able to kind of really work it and you've, as a result you've seen hotels kind of close down um, job losses are happening so yeah it's kind of a little bit sad but Hey, I want, to, I want to talk about, mm. uh, I want to shed a little bit of light on your podcast. Um, for those who yeah. don't know, you, uh, so your podcast is called the Southeast Asia Travel Show. And you, how, yeah, just give us a spiel. Like how, how often do you guys update?
1: Cool. Yeah. So I, I do it with co host called Gary Bowerman. Um, he's from UK as well, also living in Malaysia. Um, so we started just the beginning of January. Um, we drop a new podcast about every week or so, and we cover different angles within Southeast Asian tourism. Um, so whether that is, uh, I mean, in this week we're covering Japan, but it's, it's with that angle of what kind of influence does Japan have on Southeast Asia? What kind of impact do Southeast Asians have on um, Japan? And just covering different angles, mice, everything else. Uh, so it's pretty fun to do. You can um, find us at the uh, SEAsiaTravelShow.com, and uh, yeah, it, it's been a it's been a fun journey, but it's been a funny time to start a podcast about tourism. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, so what made you start it in the first place? Was it, was it kind of um, SEO yeah. related?
1: <laughs> not, even not really, actually. I think it was more like a passion project. So Gary and I kind of met mid last year and we were, we were kind of in the same space because he says some consulting about Southeast Asian uh, tourism as well, like me. And we were saying, Hey, let's, he came to me and said, Look, I've got this idea. Let's start a podcast. I said, okay, cool. I didn't really know what went into it, the work that went into it as well. Yep. All right, let's do it. Um, but um, yeah so we started January really and then of course by by February everything was pretty much about COVID so I I feel like we've probably spent about the last six months talking about COVID-19 we're trying to find ways of not talking about it but inevitably everything leads to it at the moment
0: yeah yeah but as a result like you've been able to be featured on like BBC News or BBC World um, and a few other kind of publications which I think is is so cool um, yeah, you know, with yeah, that man. show. Yeah, so it's really, really cool. Um, so, for anyone who's watching or listening, I'll put those show notes below. Uh, but I, I have a question. It's a final question. Yeah. It's about advice. So, I think you've alluded to it before as we were kind of talking. But if you had to advise, say, a, a large hotel group or a travel group or even a tourism board around how do we look at post COVID and how do we approach, say, our messaging, what kind of tips and advice would you provide them?
1: I would say to them right now that they've got to be quite realistic and uh, they should really look at the domestic market first, maybe after that. But in domestic market, I think they really need to change their thinking. Um, You know, for too long, I think a lot of tourism boards and tour operators and everything else have been very much geared towards international tourists coming in and not necessarily what people here actually like to do um so i think they need to do some kind of building up of product and thinking you know you know me as a local what would i like to actually do what would i like from my hotel i like my my tour operator what kind of destinations am i looking for and try to re-gear the tourism industry more about that because it's going to still be way off before you know international markets long-haul markets certainly can come into the country
0: yeah nice I, i like how you kind of said hey you know we we need when trying to focus on domestic it's almost like hey we need to start looking at who our customer audience is like redoing everything research around it investing in that time and effort to really understand what are the needs and wants of a local tourist you know coming to or considering a particular destination uh what do they want how do how do they travel here uh what are the foods that they want to try and package it with and, and like and you know, I think, I think it's so important that a lot of businesses don't see that uh, at the moment. And it's, it's almost business to me anyway. It's almost business 101 when you look at how to solve a problem. It's like, well, who are your target audience? And tell me a little bit more about them. And then off the back of that, then you're able to kind of really conceive ideas and a message behind it and really understand what is that kind of unique selling proposition that will enable you to differentiate between you and another kind of operator coming through so thank you so much for that yeah um and how look like for anyone that wants to reach out to you what are the best channels to reach out to you by uh
1: best to find me on uh, probably linkedin i imagine so uh you'll just find me i think it's hannah.f.pearson but i think andrew's gonna drop the link in the the note Um, so feel free to ask me on that i post a lot about southeast asian tourism so if that's something that you're interested in you know come find me.
0: Yep. Done. Nicely put. And yes, I will put it in the show notes below. So Hannah, thank you so much Uh, for everyone who's watching or listening. Thank you so much. And I'll see you on the next show.